Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Tea Tray in the Sky by Evelyn E. Smith This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Visiting a society is tougher than being born into it. A 40-credit-hour tour is no substitute. The picture changed on the illuminated panel that filled the forward end of the shelf on which Michael lay. A haggard blonde woman sprawled apathetically in a chair. Run down, nervous, hypertensive? inquired a mellifluous voice. In need of mental therapy? By Grugis juice. It's not expensive. And they swear by it on Maropay. A disembodied pair of hands administered a spoonful of Grugis juice to the woman, whereupon her hair turned bright yellow, makeup bloomed on her face, her clothes grew briefer, and she burst into a fast Calliston clog. I see from your hair that you've been a member of one of the Brotherhoods, the passenger lying next to Michael on the shelf remarked inquisitively. He was a middle-aged man, his dust-brown hair thinning on top, his small blue eyes glittering preternaturally from the lenses fitted over his eyeballs. Michael rubbed his fingers ruefully over the blonde stubble on his scalp and wished he had waited until his tonsure were fully grown before he had ventured out into the world. But he had been so impatient to leave the lodge, so impatient to exchange the flowing robes of the Brotherhood for the close-fitting breeches and tunic of the outer world that had seemed so glamorous and now proved so itchy. Yes, he replied courteously, for he knew the first rule of universal behavior. I have been a brother. Now why would a good-looking young fellow like you want to join a brotherhood? His shelf companion wanted to know. Trouble over a female? Michael shook his head, smiling. No, I have been a member of the Angelino Brotherhood since I was an infant. My father brought me when he entered. The other man clucked sympathetically. No doubt he was grieved over the death of your mother. Michael closed his eyes to shut out the sight of a baby protruding its fat face at him three-dimensionally, but he could not shut out its lisping voice. Does your child refuse its food, grow wizened like a monkey? It'll grow plump with oh-so-good mealy-mush from Nunky. No, sir, Michael replied. Father said that was one of the few blessings that brightened an otherwise benighted life. Horror contorted his fellow traveler's plump features. Be careful, young man, he warned. Lucky for you that you are talking to someone as broad-minded as I, but others aren't. You might be reported for violating a taboo, an earth taboo, moreover. An earth taboo? Certainly, Motherhood is sacred here on Earth, and so, of course, in the entire United Universe. You should have known that. Michael blushed 
He should indeed. For a year prior to his leaving the lodge, he had carefully studied the customs and taboos of the universe so that he should be able to enter the new life he'd planned for himself, with confidence and ease. Under the system of universal kinship, all the customs and all the taboos of all the planets were the law on all the other planets. For the wise ones had decided many years before that wars arose from not understanding one's fellows, not sympathizing with them. If every nation, every planet, every solar system had the same laws, customs, and habits, they reasoned, there would be no differences, and hence no wars. Future events had proved them to be correct. For five hundred years there had been no war in the United Universe, and there was peace and plenty for all. Only one crime was recognized throughout the solar systems, injuring a fellow creature by word or deed. And the telepaths of Aldebaran were still trying to add thought to the statute. Why, then, Michael had questioned the Father Superior, was there any reason for the Lodge's existence, any reason for a group of humans to retire from the world and live in the simple ways of their primitive forefathers? When there had been war, injustice, tyranny, there had perhaps been an understandable emotional reason for fleeing the world. But now why refuse to face a desirable reality? Why turn one's face upon the present and deliberately go back to the life of the past? The high collars, vests and trousers, the inefficient coal furnaces, the rude gasoline tractors of medieval days. The Father Superior had smiled. You are not yet a fully-fledged brother, Michael. You cannot enter your novitiate until you've achieved your majority, and you won't be thirty for another five years. Why don't you spend some time outside and see how you like it? Michael had agreed, but before leaving he had spent months studying the ways of the United Universe. He had skimmed over Earth because he had been so sure he'd know its ways instinctively. Remembering his preparations, he was astonished by his smug self-confidence. A large scarlet pencil jumped merrily across the ad video screen. The face on the eraser opened its mouth and sang, Our pencils are finest from point up to rubber, for the lead is from yet while the wood comes from Deshaba. Is there any way of turning that thing off? Michael wanted to know. The other man smiled. If there were, my boy, do you think anybody would watch it? Furthermore, turning it off would violate the spirit of free enterprise. We wouldn't want that, would we? Oh, no, Michael agreed hastily. Certainly not. And it might hurt the advertiser's feelings, cause him ego injury. How could I ever have had such a ridiculous idea, Michael murmured, abashed. Allow me to introduce myself, said his companion. My name is Pierce B. Carpenter. Aphrodisiacs are my line. Here's my card. He handed Michael a transparent tab with a photograph of Mr. Carpenter suspended inside, together with his registration number, his name, his address, and the universal seal of approval. Clearly, he was a character of the utmost respectability. My name's Michael Frey, the young man responded smiling awkwardly. I'm afraid I don't have any cards. Well, you wouldn't have had any use for them where you were. Now look here, son, Carpenter went on in a lowered voice. 
I know you've just come from the lodge, and the mistakes you'll make will be through ignorance rather than deliberate malice. But the police wouldn't understand. You know what the sacred writings say. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. I'd be glad to give you any little tips I can. For instance, your hands. Michael spread his hands out in front of him. They were perfectly good hands, he thought. Is there something wrong with them? Carpenter blushed and looked away. Didn't you know that on Electra it is forbidden for anyone to appear in public with his hands bare? Of course I know that, Michael said impatiently. But what's that got to do with me? The salesman was wide-eyed. But if it is forbidden on Electra, it becomes automatically prohibited here. But electrons have eight fingers on each hand, Michael protested, with two fingernails on each, all covered with green scales. Carpenter drew himself up as far as it was possible to do while lying down. Do eight fingers make one a lesser universal? Of course not, but is he inferior to you then because he has sixteen fingernails? Certainly not, but would you like to be called guilty of? Carpenter paused before the dreaded word. Intolerance? No, 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 Michael almost shrieked. It would be horrible for him to be arrested before he even had time to view Port York. I've lots of gloves in my pack, he babbled. Lots and lots. I'll put some on right away. With nervous haste, he pressed the lever which dropped his pack down from the storage compartment. It landed on his stomach. The device had been invented by one of the Teshubans who are, as everyone knows, hoop-shaped. Michael pressed the button marked Gloves A, and a pair of yellow gauntlets slid out. Carpenter pressed his hands to his eyes. Yellow is the color of death on Saturn, and you know how morbid the Saturnians are about passing away. No one ever wears yellow. Sorry, Michael said humbly. The button marked Gloves B yielded a pair of rose-colored gloves which harmonized ill with his scarlet tunic and turquoise breeches, but he was past caring for aesthetic effects. The quality's high, sang a quartet of beautiful female humanoids, but the price is meager. You know when you buy plummy fruitcake from Vega. The salesman patted Michael's shoulder. You staying a while in Port York? Michael nodded. Then you'd better stick close to me for a while until you learn our ways. You can't run around loose by yourself until you've acquired civilized behavior patterns or you'll get into trouble. Thank you, sir, Michael said gratefully. It's very kind of you. He twisted himself around. It was boiling hot inside the jet bus and his damp clothes were clinging uncomfortably and struck his head against the bottom of the shelf above. Awfully inconvenient arrangement here, he commented. Wonder why they don't have seats. Because this arrangement, Carpenter said stiffly, is the one that has proven suitable for the greatest number of intelligent life forms. Oh, I see, Michael murmured. I didn't get a look at the other passengers. Are there many extraterrestrials on the bus? Dozens of them. Haven't you heard the Syrians singing? A low moaning noise had been pervading the bus, but Michael had thought it arose from defective jets. Oh, yes, 
he agreed. And very beautiful it is, too. But so sad. Syrians are always sad, the salesman told him. Listen. Michael strained his ears past the racket of the ad video. Sure enough, he could make out words. Our wings were unfurled in a far distant world. Our bodies are pain-racked, delirious. And never, it seems, will we see, save in dreams, the bright purple swamps of our Sirius. Carpenter brushed away a tear. Poignant, isn't it? Very, very touching, Michael agreed. Are they sick or something? Oh, no. They wouldn't have been permitted on the bus if they were. They're just homesick. Syrians love being homesick. That's why they leave Sirius in such great numbers. Fashion your suction discs, please, the stewardess, a pretty two-headed Denebian, ordered as she walked up and down the gangway. We're coming into Port York. I have an announcement to make to all passengers on behalf of the United Universe. Zosma was admitted into the Union early this morning. All the passengers cheered. Since it is considered immodest on Zosma, she continued, ever to appear with the heads bare, henceforward it will be taboo to be seen in public without some sort of head covering. Wild scrabbling sounds indicated that all the passengers were searching their packs for headgear. Michael unearthed a violet cap. The salesman unfolded what looked like a medieval opera hat in piercingly bright green. Always got to keep on your toes, he whispered to the younger man. The universe is expanding every minute. The bus settled softly on the landing field and the passengers flew, floated, crawled, undulated, or walked out. Michael looked around him curiously. The lodge had contained no extraterrestrials. For such as those as sought seclusion had brotherhoods on their own planets. Of course, even in Angeles he had seen other worldlers, humanoids from Vega, scaly electrons, the wispy, ubiquitous Syrians, but nothing to compare with the crowds that surged here. Scarlet Meropians rubbed tentacles with bulging-eyed Talithans. Lumpish gray Jovians plodded along graceful, spidery Nunkians and there were countless others whom he had seen pictured in books, but never before in reality. The gaily colored costumes and bodies of those beings rendered kaleidoscopic a field already brilliant with red and green lights and banners. The effect was enhanced by Mr. Carpenter, whose emerald green cloak was drawn back to reveal a chartreuse tunic and olive green breeches, which had apparently been designed for a taller, and somewhat less pudgy man. Carpenter rubbed modestly gloved hands together. I have no immediate business, so supposing I start showing you the sights. What would you like to see first, Mr. Frey? Or would you prefer a nice, restful move-in? Frankly, Michael admitted, the first thing I'd like to do is get myself something to eat. I didn't have any breakfast, and I'm famished. Two small creatures standing close to him giggled nervously and scuttled off on six legs apiece. Shh! Not so loud! There are females present! Carpenter drew the youth to a secluded corner. Don't you know that on Themen, 
it's frightfully vulgar to so much as speak of eating in public. But why? Michael demanded in too loud a voice. What's wrong with eating in public here on earth? Carpenter clapped a hand over the young man's mouth. Hush, he cautioned. After all, on earth there are things we don't do or even mention in public, aren't there? Well, yes, but those are different. Not at all. Those rules might seem just as ridiculous to a Themimian, but the Themimians have accepted our customs just as we've accepted the Themimians. How would you like if a Themimian violated one of our taboos in public? You must consider the feelings of the Themimians as equal to your own. Observe the golden rule. Do unto extraterrestrials as you would be done by. But I'm still hungry, Michael persisted, modulating his voice, however, to a decent whisper. Do the proprieties demand that I starve to death, or can I get something to eat somewhere? Naturally, the salesman whispered back. Port York provides for all bodily needs. Numerous feeding stations are conveniently located throughout the port, and there must be some on the field. After gazing furtively over his shoulder to see that no females were watching, Carpenter approached a large map of the landing field and pressed a button. A tiny red light winked demurely for an instant. That's the nearest one, Carpenter explained. Inside a small, white, functional-looking building unobtrusively marked feeding station, Carpenter showed Michael where to insert a two-credit piece in a slot. A door slid back and admitted Michael into a tiny, austere room, furnished only with a table, a chair, a food compartment, and an ad video. The food consisted of tabloid synthetics and was tasteless. Michael knew that only primitive creatures waste time and energy in growing and preparing natural foods. It was all a matter of getting used to this stuff, he thought glumly, as he tried to chew food that was meant to be gulped. A ferret-eyed yedin appeared on the ad video. Do you suffer from gastric disorders? Does your viscera get in your hair? A horrid condition, but swift abolition is yours with Albrum from Altair. Michael finished his meal in 15 minutes and left the compartment to find Carpenter awaiting him in the lobby, impatiently glancing at the luminous time dial embedded in his wrist. Let's go to the old town, he suggested to Michael. It will be of great interest to a student and a newcomer like yourself. A few yards away from the feeding station, the travel agents were lined up in rows, each outside his spaceship, each shouting the advantage of the tour he offered. Better than a mustard plaster is a weekend spent on Castor. If you want to show you like her, take her for a week to spike her. Move it, stars. Go to Mars. Carpenter smiled politely at them. No space trips for us today, gentlemen. We're staying on Terra. He guided the bewildered young man through the crowds and to the gates of the field. Outside, a number of surface vehicles were lined up with the drivers loudly competing for business. Come, take a ride in my rocket car, suited to both gent and lady, lined with luxury huckafer brought from afar and perfumed with rare scents from Algeti. Whatever movid film you choose to view will be yours in my fine cab from Mazar. 
Just press a button. It won't cost you nothing. See a passionate drama of long-vanished moo or the bloodhounds pursuing Eliza. All honor to be laid at the feet of free trade, but whatever your race or your birth, each passenger curls up with two dancing girls who rides in the taxi from Earth. Couldn't we... Couldn't we walk? At least part of the way? Michael faltered. Carpenter stared. Walk? Don't you know it's forbidden to walk more than 200 yards in any one direction? Fomohashians never walk. But they have no feet. That has nothing whatsoever to do with it. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Carpenter gently urged the young man into the Algedian cab, which reeked. Michael held his nose but his mentor shook his head. No, no. Tipeee number five is the most esteemed aroma on Al Getty. It would break the driver's heart if he thought you didn't like it. You wouldn't want to be had up for ego injury, would you? Of course not, Michael whispered weakly. Brunettes are darker and blondes are fairer, the ad video informed him, when they wash out their hair with shampoos made on Chara. After a time, Michael got more or less used to Tipeee number five and was able to take some interest in the passing landscape. Port York, the biggest spaceport in the United Universe, was, of course, the most cosmopolitan city, cosmopolitan in its architecture as well as its inhabitants. Silver domes of Earth were crowded next to the tall helical edifices of the Venusians, You'll notice that the current medieval revival has even reached architecture, Carpenter pointed out. See those period houses in the Frank Lloyd Wright and Inigo Jones manor? Very quaint, Michael commented. Great floating red and green balls lit the streets, even though it was still daylight, and long scarlet and emerald streamers whipped out from the most unlikely places. As Michael opened his mouth to inquire about this, we now interrupt the commercials, the ad video said, to bring you a brand new version of one of the medieval ballads that are becoming so popular. I shall scream, stated Carpenter, if they play beautiful blue Deneb just once more. No, thank the wise ones, I've never heard this before. Thubin, Thubin, I've been thinking, sang a buxom Beetlejuicean. What a cosmos this could be if land masses were transported to replace the wasteful sea. I guess the first thing for me to do, Michael began in a businesslike manner, is to get myself a room at a hotel. What have I said now? The word hotel, Carpenter explained through pursed lips, is not used in polite society anymore. It has come to have unpleasant connotations. It means a place of dancing girls, I hardly think. Certainly not, Michael agreed austerely. 
I merely want a lodging. That word is also, well, you see, Carpenter told him. On Zania, it is unthinkable to go anywhere without one's family. They're a sort of ant, aren't they, the Zanians, I mean? More like bees. So those creatures who travel, Carpenter lowered his voice modestly, alone, hire a family for the duration of their stay. There are a number of families available, but the better types come rather high. There's been talk of reviving the old-fashioned price controls, but the wise ones say this would limit free enterprise as much as, if you'll excuse my use of the expression, tariffs would. The taxi let them off at a square meadow which was filled with transparent plastic domes housing clocks of all varieties, most of the antique type based on the old 24-hour day instead of the standard 30 hours. There were few extraterrestrial clocks because most non-humans had time sense, Michael knew, and needed no mechanical devices. This, said Carpenter, is Times Square. Once, it wasn't really square, but it is contrary to Nakarian custom to do, say, imply, or permit the existence of anything that isn't true. So when Neckard entered the Union, we had to square off the place. And, of course, install the clocks. Finest clock museum in the Union, I understand. The pictures in my history books, Michael began. Did I hear you correctly, sir? The capes of a bright blue cloak trembled with the indignation of a scarlet, many-tentacled being. Did you use the word history? He pronounced it in terms of loathing. I have been grossly insulted, and I shall be forced to report you to the police, sir. Please don't, Carpenter begged. This youth has just come from one of the brotherhoods and is not yet accustomed to the ways of our universe. I know that, because of the great sophistication for which your race is noted, you will overlook this little gaucherie on his part. Well, the red one conceded, let it not be said that Meropians are not tolerant. But be careful, young man, he warned Michael. There are other beings less sophisticated than we. Guard your tongue, or you might find yourself in trouble. He indicated the stalwart constable who, splendid in gold helmet and gold-spangled pink tights, surveyed the terrain haughtily from his floating platform in the air. I should have told you, Carpenter reproached himself as the Meropians swirled off. Never mention the word history in front of a Meropian. They rose from barbarism in one generation, and so they haven't any history at all. Naturally, they're sensitive in the extreme about it. Naturally, Michael said. Tell me, Mr. Carter, is there some special reason for everything being decorated in red and green? I noticed it along the way, and it's all over here, too. Why, Christmas is coming, my boy, Carpenter answered, surprised. It's July already. About time they got started fixing things up. Some places are so slack, they haven't even got their Mother's Week shrines cleared away. A bevy of tiny, golden-haired, winged creatures circled slowly over Times Square. Azarians, Carpenter explained. They're much in demand for Christmas displays. The small mouths opened, and clear soprano voices filled the air. It came upon the midnight clear, that glorious song of old. 
from angels bending near the earth to tune their harps of gold. Peace on earth, good will to men, from heaven's all celestial. Peace to the universe as well, and every extraterrestrial. Beat the drum and clash the cymbals, buy your Christmas gifts at Nimbles. This beautiful walk you see before you, Carpenter said, waving an expository arm, shaded by boogle trees from Desheba, is called Broadway. To your left, you will be delighted to see. Listen, could we, Michael began, 42nd Street, which is now actually the 42nd, by the way. It is extremely rude and hence illegal, Carpenter glared, to interrupt anyone who is speaking. But I would like, Michael whispered very earnestly, to get washed, if I might. The other man frowned. Let me see. I believe one of the old landmarks was converted into a lavatory. Only thing of suitable dimensions. Anyhow, it was absolutely useless for any other purpose. We have to take a taxi there. It's more than 200 yards. Custom, you know. A taxi? Isn't there one closer? Ah, impatient youth. There aren't too many altogether. The installations are extremely expensive. They hailed the nearest taxi, which happened to be one of the variety equipped with dancing girls. Fortunately, the ride was brief. Michael gazed at the Empire State Building with interest. It was in a remarkable state of preservation and looked just like the pictures in his history, in his books, except that none of them showed the huge golden sign, Public Washport, riding on its spire. Attendants directed traffic from a large circular desk in the lobby. Mercurians, 78th floor. A group vegans, 14th floor right. B group, 14th floor left. C group, 15th floor right. D group, 15th floor left. Syrians, 49th floor. Female humans, 50th floor right. Males, 50th floor left. Uranians, basement. Carpenter and Michael shared an elevator with a group of sad-eyed, translucent Syrians who were singing, as usual, and accompanying themselves on wimps, a cross between a harp and a flute. Foreign planets are strange and were subject to mange. Foreign atmospheres proved leaderous. Only with our mind's eye can we sail through the sky to the bright purple swamps of our Sirius. The cost of the compartment was half that of the feeding station. One credit in the slot unlocked the door. There was an ad video here, too. Friend, do you clean yourself each day? Now, let's not be evasive, for each one has his favorite way. Some use an abrasive, and some use oil. Some shed their skins in a brand new hide emerging. Some rub with grease put up in tins. For others, there's deterging. Some lick themselves to take off grime. Some beat it off with rope. Some cook it away in boiling lime. Old-fashioned ones use soap. More ways there are than I recall, and each of these will differ. But the only one that works for all is Omni-Clean from Kiffa.
And now, smiled Carpenter as the two humans left the building, we must see you registered for a nice family. Nothing too ostentatious, but on the other hand, you mustn't count credits and ally yourself beneath your station. Michael gazed pensively at two slender, snake-like diftons, writhing only 99 shopping days till Christmas across an aquamarine sky. They won't be permanent, he asked. The family, I mean? Certainly not. You merely hire them for whatever length of time you choose. But why are you so anxious? The young man blushed. Well, I'm thinking of having a family of my own someday. Pretty soon, as a matter of fact. Carpenter beamed. That's nice. You're being adopted. I do hope it's an Earth family that's chosen you. It's so awkward being adopted by extraterrestrials. Oh, no. I'm planning to have my own. That is, I've got a... a girl, you see. And I thought after I'd secured employment of some kind in Port York, I'd send for her and we'd get married and... Married? Carpenter was now completely shocked. You mustn't use that word. Don't you know that marriage was outlawed years ago? Exclusive possession of a member of the opposite sex is slavery on Talitha. Furthermore, supposing somebody else saw your, uh, friend and wanted her also, you wouldn't wish him to endure the frustration of not having her, would you? Michael squared his jaw. You bet I would. Carpenter drew himself away slightly, as if to avoid contamination. This is ununiversal. Young man, if I didn't have a kind heart, I would report you. Michael was too preoccupied to be disturbed by this threat. You mean, if I bring my girl here, I'd have to share her? Certainly, and she'd have to share you, if someone wanted you, that is. Then I'm not staying here. Michael declared firmly, ashamed to admit even to himself how much relief his decision was bringing him. I don't think I like it anyhow. I'm going back to the Brotherhood. There was a short, cold silence. You know, son, Carpenter finally said, I think you might be right. I don't want to hurt your feelings. You promise I won't hurt your feelings? He asked anxiously, afraid. Michael realized that he might call a policeman for ego injury. You won't hurt my feelings, Mr. Carpenter. Well, I believe that there are certain individuals who just cannot adapt themselves to civilized behavior patterns. It's much better for them to belong to a brotherhood such as yours than to be placed in one of the government incarceratoriums, comfortable and commodious though they are. Much better, Michael agreed. By the way... Carpenter went on. I realize that this is just vulgar curiosity on my part, and you have a right to refuse an answer without fear of hurting my feelings. But how do you happen to have a, a girl when you belong to a brotherhood? Michael laughed. Oh, brotherhood is merely a generic term. Both sexes are represented in our society. On Talitha, Carpenter began. I know. Michael interrupted him, like the crude primitive he was and would always be. But our females don't mind being generic.
A group of Syrians was traveling on the shelf above him on the slow, very slow jet bus that was flying Michael back to Angeles, back to the lodge, back to the Brotherhood, back to her. Their melancholy howling was getting on his nerves, but in a little while, he told himself, it would all be over. He would be back home, safe with his own kind. When our minds have grown tired, when our lives have expired, when our sorrows no longer can weary us, let our ashes return, neatly packed in an urn, to the bright purple swamps of our Syria. The ad video crackled. The gown her fairy godmother once gave to Cinderella was created by the hot couture of fashion-wise Capella. The ancient taxi was there, the one that Michael had taken from the lodge early that morning to the little Angelino landing field, as if it had been waiting for his return. I see your back, son, the driver said without surprise. He set the noisy old rockets blasting. I've been to Port York once. It's not a bad place to live in, but I hate to visit it. I'm back. Michael sank into the moth-eaten sable cushions and gazed with pleasure at the familiar landmarks half seen in the darkness. I'm back. And a loud sneer to civilization. Better be careful, son, the driver warned. I know this is a rural area, but civilization is spreading. There are secret police all over. How do you know I ain't a government spy? I could pull you in for insulting civilization. The elderly black and white ad video flickered, broke into purring sound. Do you find life continues to daze you? Do you find for a quick death you hanker? Why not try the new style euthanasia performed by a skilled workman from Anka? Not anymore, Michael thought contentedly. He was going home. End of Tea Tray in the Sky by Evelyn E. Smith Read by Paul Hampton